So, uh, as we begin and continue, David, I'll give you just a second to hit the record. We're good to go? Okay. The, uh, we've been looking at, for the last several weeks at women of the Bible, and so we're going to take a look this week at Ruth. Uh, I think Ruth is going to take two weeks, uh, but we'll, we'll begin uh, with uh, the first part of this this week, talking uh, from the first part of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. Verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the, in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, uh, they were of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came in the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malan and Kilian died also, both of them. And the, and the, women, the woman was left of, of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they are grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and, to un and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Wherefore thou diest, will I die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if I, if I but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking under her. The book, of, the book of Ruth, though it's a perfectly true story of, in history, it's also a wonderful illustration or a parable of how God deals with his people, how God deals with us. Ruth has some of the richest teaching. For example, when we come to Ruth chapter 3, there is a story there about 
once they've gone back to Bethlehem and, and they've, you know, Ruth has seen uh, her future husband. She's seen Boaz and she's attracted to him. So she asked her mother-in-law, you know, about him. And so her mother-in-law says, this is what I want you to do. And she says, if you're going to be a bride, getting ready for a bridegroom, this is what I want you to do. So immediately we begin to recognize that this is a message for the church, the bride of Christ, as we get ready for him. If we want to know what it takes to be ready for the, for, for the bridegroom when he comes and when he calls us forth as the bride, if we want to know how to be ready, Naomi tells Ruth very specifically, this is what you do. And you have to do these things in order. So the very first thing that Naomi says, very logically, is I want you to bathe. I want you to be clean. So that's why we teach that the beginning of the relationship with Jesus Christ is that we come before him and our sins are forgiven so that we can be clean and that we can be white. So that we can be clean and ready to meet the bridegroom. There will be no relationship if you skip step one. If you don't have an encounter with Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive your sins, the ones that cause the reality of death, the wage of sin is death. If we don't come before him and ask him for forgiveness so that he will remove that sin, that sin nature and the consequence of that sin, then there will be no relationship. But as soon as she was clean, Naomi says, and this is what I want you to do next. I want you to put on the anointing. I want, to, I want you to anoint yourself with oil. So again, we understand, and, and this, is, this is simple truth coming profoundly from the book of Ruth, long before Jesus enters the picture. But here's, you know, here's the next thing. Once you're clean, take on the anointing. Well, we understand that we're not clueless to what God is talking about. If he, if he says, I want you to put on the oil, the oil is the Holy Spirit. Jesus came up out of the water, his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What happens next? The, the Holy Spirit comes on him as a dove. Even Jesus in his humanity required that that anointing be on him. Because for the next three and a half years, he functioned under that anointing. There is no Christian ministry. There is no Christian outreach. There is no Christian love. There's no grace there's no power, there's no authority if we miss step two. Clean, but receiving the anointing of the Holy Spirit that prepares us for the relationship that we are about to take on. The third, change your clothes. Put on new clothes, put on fresh clothes. And again, we know what clothes mean. The raiment is our testimony. It's the outward evidence. There's a lot that you can tell about each other based on the clothes that we wear, especially on a weekday. Because some, do you wear a suit, Randy? Yeah, most of the time he wears a suit. So he's, we, we all know when he leaves the house in the morning, he's a preacher. Because preachers wear suits. We don't know where he goes, but we know he's a preacher somewhere. He's a, we, we understand the nature of his work. We understand what, people, what the, out, the outward clothing tells an inner, in an inner story. Tells us tells a lot about us. So God is saying through Naomi to Ruth, be clean, put on the anointing, and put on a new testimony. 
Because your outward appearance, what you wear, what not, not clothing, but your outward appearance, how you act and behave, is a representation of the fact that the first two have occurred. The fourth thing she said, she said, I want you to go lay down at his feet. What was that about? Why would, why would Naomi say lay at his feet? There's no relationship with God without humility. Without understanding who God is in relationship to who we are. That's humility. He's God and I'm not. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. He's God and I'm not. And the fifth thing, the last thing that, that Naomi says to Ruth, is whatever he says, do it. What do we call that? Obedience. You want to know how to be ready for the bridegroom? There it is. Be clean. Anointed. Put on the new raiment, humility, and obedience. All in that order. You can't get them out of order. So Ruth is a tremendous teaching, parable. But tonight we want to look at this woman whose name is Ruth, who God has chosen as a Moabite woman. The odd thing is that you would, as tremendous as she is, it's still very surprising to find her in the lineage of Jesus. To still find her because when, when she and Boaz had a son, what was his name? Obed. That's a 15-point question in our car when we do Bible trivia. <laughs> Obed has a son. Who's, what's his name? Ooh. Jesse. Jesse has a son. What's his name? David. So we, we begin to see the lineage of Jesus coming through, David. And back there in that lineage is Ruth, the Moabite woman. So we know she is a woman of remarkable character. She is a, a, a woman who discovers something that, that puts her in the place where she can actually be in the lineage of Jesus. It says that, the, that we're back in the days of the judges. That, that Israel wasn't ruled by kings, it was ruled by judges. And there was no, as it says in the opening verses, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes, basically, during this time. It was a very difficult time. And it was most significant that there was a famine in the land. Now, I'm, I don't want to draw this direct connection because I'm not, I'm not going to say in the sense that when you do something wrong that God is going to punish you. Because that's the way this kind of comes across. But I want to tell you, there's never a famine in the promised land that's not there because of correction. Because the provision that was spoken over the promised land was 100% complete and full. And God says, wherever you go, in my name, in obedience to me, I'm going to bless every step. And I'm going to give you that land everywhere you step. That's the provision. So what, is the, what happens in the famine? A famine will always tell you that there's correction. So I'm not going to tell you that when you do something wrong, God is going to punish you. But I am going to tell you every time that you step off the path, narrow is the gate, straight is the way. Every time you step off of that straight way, the work of the Holy Spirit is going to bring you back. And it's going to come sometime with correction. And that's what God is doing. He's bringing Israel back, time and time again, back onto this path. So if there's a famine in Israel, you can pretty well understand that God is doing it for correction. What does Elimelech choose to do? He chooses to go to Moab 
and step outside of the correction of God. His wisdom says, if I, can, if, I can get, if I can get to Moab, then I won't suffer the consequences of this famine. And I want to tell you, it cost him dearly. The famine was, was not an accident. And it really, normally the famine, if I, if I could just boil it down to something simple, the famine usually came to Israel when they refused to listen. And I want to tell you, it is very inherent in our life when God speaks and we don't listen. There will generally be a consequence that we, uh, that we end up facing. Not of God's doing, but of our own. So Elimelech chooses to step outside. Elimelech's name is, my God is king. But he defied his own name and he acted outside of his identity. He didn't seek God's counsel. It doesn't say that he prayed. It simply says that he moved on his own to the country of Moab. They found, they found themselves at home in the country of their enemies. Now I want to tell you, there's a powerful statement right there. That Elimelech, that his wife and his two sons made a move and became comfortable in the land of their enemies. You know how fast we can make that move? Boy, I tell you what, that, we can become surprising. We call it complacency. We call it a lot of things. But the reality is that they made a move out, out from under the voice of God, out from under the consequences of God, to, to the land of Moab, and strangely became very comfortable in the land of their enemies. I want to tell you, it represents what happens to us. Some of you aren't going, to want, aren't, aren't going to believe this, but this is absolutely the truth. You and I were designed with Bethlehem representing home to us. Moab means I stepped outside of home. Because of who we are as, as believers, we should be more at home in the spirit than anywhere else. The spirit is our home. Because we are spiritual beings who have a spiritual relationship with a God who is spirit and truth. We were designed to be spiritual beings and out of that spirit we could express then the spiritual reality in our soul, in our mind, in our emotions, and in our physical body. But we should be most at home in those things of the spirit. And any time that we choose not to live, not to exist, not to, not to pursue, not to be at home in the spirit, we become very comfortable in the land of our enemies, which is the flesh. Our mind and our emotions and our body make up the flesh. And when we choose to live according to what my mind thinks and what my heart feels and what my physical body desires and leave God out of the picture, leave His voice out of the story, then we have chosen to live comfortably in the land of our enemy. I want to tell you the Christian church, largely across the United States, has chosen to live comfortably in the land of the enemy. Now we don't even call it the enemy because we don't see anything wrong. We don't even recognize that there's an enemy in that land. But if we're not, if we're not living as God designed us, we've talked about this. Here's God's design. I'll show you on every page that we were created in God's image to be 
Randy the body, Randy the soul, my mind and my emotions, but I was also designed to be Randy the spirit. We were created in God's image. We were created that way so that our spirit could, could, could become the place in which the Holy Spirit came to take up residence. And any teaching, any teaching that removes the Holy Spirit from the story from the reality of our life, with us being the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, Christ lives in me. We know those scriptures. We know about the giving of the Holy Spirit. We know, as, as Shorty was teaching this morning, when Jesus breathed on his disciples and gave them the Holy Spirit, we know that that's God's design. Anything that does not teach Christ at the center of the Christian it's not God's design, it's a distortion, it's a perversion. And sadly, the Christian church has removed the Holy Spirit. Now they would say absolutely, that yeah, Christ in the center of the Christian, they will agree with that. But Jesus says, I'm going away. Who's he going to send that could, that could take up residence in the center of us? The Holy Spirit. Any teaching that removes that, says, I have accepted to live comfortably in the land of the enemy. So that every day, there's, no, there's not unconditional love. Every day there's these up and down emotions. Every day there's turmoil. Every, every day there's disruption. Every day there's bitterness, hardship, difficulty, frustration, stubbornness. Whatever you want to say, we're living in that, in, comfortably in the land of our enemy. We look, at, we look at him and say, why would he go there? Why would he leave the land of promise to live somewhere else? Why do we leave how God designed us to live in the flesh and struggle in the flesh the way that we do? I've made a note here. Living in the influence of the flesh is dangerous unless, and this is a huge unless, unless you're specifically called by God to go into that land now, if, if Elimelech had heard the voice of God and, and, and God had said to him, I want you to go to the land of Moab, he would have gone as a missionary under the provision of God and been perfectly safe. He didn't consult God. He went on his own. And then, and then we, we understand what happened. Very naturally, as you would expect, his two sons, their two sons, took wives, Orpah and Ruth. He did this even though that there was a covenant made very specifically that told him not to do it. In Deuteronomy 7 it says, Neither shalt thou make marriage with them. Thy daughters thou shalt not give to his son, and his daughter shall not thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. So we understood that they knew already that they were stepping outside of the design of God and then shouldn't have at, at all been surprised that there was a consequence. Now, under God's blessing, I don't know exactly how this happened, but Naomi heard that the land that they ran from because of a famine, that God had blessed them with bread. Now, we know this to be true because later in the, in the, in the book, when they get back, they're gleaning wheat off of Boaz's field. So we know that there had become an abundance in Israel. She heard about it. My, my belief is that God reached to her. 
that he sent the message of the, of the bread to her so that she could respond, and, and, and she did. Naomi determined to return home, and her daughters-in-law chose to accompany her, but we know that Orpah went part of the way uh, and then remained in, in, in Moab. The test was too great for Orpah. She was not prepared to leave her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, her family, her friends, her home, uh, for the sake of God of Israel. Now, we talked about this this morning. How strange it was for Elisha when, you know, we said last week, Elijah, why are you here? And all he could come up with, with was to describe his situation and how bad it was. But we could ask Elisha the same question. Is he, is, you know, he's plowing in the field and Elijah comes by and he, he throws his cloak, his mantle across his shoulders and Elisha knew that he was being called by God. So we could ask Elisha the same question. Elisha, why are you here? Why are you following? Why are you following Elijah? And he says, because God called me. Because, because I understood that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be and I didn't let earthly affection to my family, to my friends, to, to any connection. I didn't, even a job, we pointed this out this morning. He was plowing with oxen and with, and with the instruments and, and, and he went back to, to have a meal with his family. What did he do? He killed the oxen and he burnt the instruments. Simply saying, I am walking away from it and I'm not turning back. God will be my sufficiency. There was no earthly affection that would deter him from being where God asked him to be. And so we come to this, this picture in Orpah, the call of home, the earthly affections were too much. So she went back home. Then Naomi spoke one final word to this amazing woman named Ruth. She says, behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back to her people. And then she says this, and back to her gods, little G. What was Naomi really asking Ruth? She gave this example and said, Orpah had a choice. To go back to her gods or to go to God. That's the illustration that, that Naomi has put before her. Here was the choice that Orpah faced. When she says she went back to her gods, she's drawing a contrast. She's saying we were on our way to, to, to God, the God of Israel, and she chose back to go back to her gods. Small g. Why do you think Naomi was asking Ruth, whom will you serve? Whom will you serve? Because she set Ruth up. Exactly the same way. Your sister-in-law went back. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you one more time. It's, just, it's very important that you recognize that Naomi says she went back to her gods because that's where her heart was. She went back to the things that she worshipped. Her family, her friends. If she had an occupation, whatever it was, she went back to that. But something had entered into, into the life of Ruth. Something had happened to make her come up with a different answer than Orpah. Because now, by this time, she had heard of the God of Israel. And truth about him had entered her heart. I wish, this, this may seem like such a trite statement. 
but for Ruth to have made the decision that she did, the truth about God not only had to enter her ears, it had to make the 18-inch journey straight to her heart. Because for Ruth to say, I want to go with you, to say, I want to stay with you, said, I want, there's something about this God of Israel that the, God, the gods where I was don't have. Something had to enter into her heart to bring that kind of a conviction, to bring that kind of commitment. And I wish today that the truth of God would enter into the hearts of believers so that, so that we could find that same kind of faithfulness among the believers today. Some truth would enter in about the reality of God, not because they're supposed to come to church because it's Sunday, but because the, the truth of God has so entered their heart that you can't keep them away. So that, so that we would come with the same determination that Ruth said to Naomi, don't dare ask me not to come with you. She entered in because something had hit her heart about the reality of God. And her question was simple. What will be different because of this God who I have now heard about? She didn't know what was going to be different. She didn't know what her life was going to be like. She had no way of knowing at this point, that she was going to become a, a grandmother to the Messiah, to the Savior of the world. She had no idea that Boaz was waiting on her. She had no idea that she was going to picture what it looks like for the bride to marry a bridegroom and that their, their child's name would be Obed, which means praise. She had no idea. She just knew that the God that, that she had heard about that the God who had, who had expressed truth into her was so compelling that I would rather go take the chance with him than go back to the certainty of what I knew. Wow. What would happen in the church of, of God today if that heart was found in us? To say, I'd rather go find out what God has in my future than to settle for the, for the reality of what I currently know. This is the heart of I want more. God, there's more. I don't know what it is, but I know there's more truth. I know there's more revelation. I know there's more authority, more power. And I want to experience what you have. And what it also hit Ruth was that serving this God is worth losing everything else. There's nothing else. When I hold it up to, in comparison to what I know about this God, it's, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it or it's worth nothing. So she answered Naomi with this word of consecration. Entreat me not to leave you. Now think about this. Make this a statement to a life in the spirit. Make this our commitment. Make this an understanding that, that Ruth was saying, I want to be where God is. I want to be in that relationship with God. And that relationship for us is a spiritual relationship. When Adam and Eve sinned, their body was still alive, their soul was still alive, but their spirit was dead because of sin. When, our, when, when we come to that reconciliation with God and we accept Him as our Savior, that spirit is quickened again so that the Holy Spirit of God can come take up residence within our spirit and we're back to normal, we're back to God's design. That's the way He intended for us to be. Let's... Anything other than that is outside of his design and we're functioning from less than what God intended. So think about this. It's our word saying, I do not want to leave 
my relationship with God. Entreat me not to leave you, nor to return from following after you. For God, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people shall be my people. God, you will be my God. She says to Naomi, where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. I think it's amazing that Ruth says within this thing, I will not choose where I go, someone else will. I will not choose where I dwell, someone else will. I will not choose my companions, someone else will. In the absence of choice, I'm sorry, it is the absence of choice that really begins to create and distinguish a true disciple. Because the true disciple says, I don't care, God, where you send me. Where you send me, I'll go. I don't care where, you, where, you, where I dwell, as long as I dwell where you put me. My desire is that I have no choice but to be obedient to the choices that you give me, to the things that you establish over me. Such a vivid picture, such a different life, though. And I do believe that that's the spirit of the true disciple. I believe that's who Ruth was. How strange it had to sound, even coming out of her mouth, where you go, I'll go. I'm going to let you determine where I go. I'm going to let you determine where I dwell. I'm going to let you determine who my family will be. I'll let you determine who my companions are. She's simply saying, from the heart of a very true and honest disciple, this great woman named Ruth, she said, I would rather you choose than me choose. There is no true discipleship in any of us if that's not our confession before God. Because our choice is, God, your will for me or my will for myself. And God's saying the true disciple will, will say, I don't have a choice. I desire to be obedient to what you tell me. Bless you. <laughs> Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this truth within this picture for this unbelievable woman who had certainly had every opportunity to go home and no one would have criticized her, no one would have blamed her. But the true heart, Lord, that is revealed in her is that she decided because of what she had heard about you, something that had captured her heart, said, I would rather go into the uncertainty with God than to go home to the certainty without him. I pray, Lord, that you would find that heart in us, that you would find that truth in us, and, Lord, that you would find us faithful as she was faithful, to say, God, I won't leave you. I won't leave your, I won't leave your people. I won't leave your church. I won't leave your body. That you would find us faithful because we have heard something about you that so captured our heart that we'll never turn back. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.